Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. How is everybody doing this morning? I'm gonna move this over. I broke my toe last night because why not? Just throw a broken toe into the mix. We wouldn't want it to get boring in my life. Um, but anyway, uh, Stovall sends his greetings this morning. He is uh, preaching at Hillsong London today, and he'll be back in the house next weekend. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm gonna step up and pinch it for him. And I'm really excited about my message today, but before I dive in, I wanna just, you know, I want to take this opportunity to just piggyback on what Carla said and let you ladies know I am so excited about Shine. And um, you have all the details in the, in the announcements, and you can find them all outside, but I would love to just say from my heart, that it means the world to me when you come. I mean, it really means a lot to me to look across this, this um, arena and see it filled top to bottom, side to side with women and girls in this house, you know, from high school, middle school, all the way up to 90 years old. And we have done our best to remove all barriers this year, which I am so pumped about with all of our ticket options. Even if you can't come for the whole thing, if you can come for one night, you know, I. Um, I pray for this all year. I pray for you all year. And this is one of the things that I do to pastor the women of our church. And so I just wanna let you know how much it means to me when you come. And for those of you who have been coming for years, thank you. Thank you for being along for, with me for the journey. It's been um, a great learning curve. It's been a great experience, but it's been so anointed every time. And it's gonna be, it's always fun too. So I hope you'll make it. I hope you'll do everything you can to make it. And um, it's gonna be a great weekend and it's so close. I can't wait. Okay, are you ready to dive into the Word this morning? I am too, but hey, can we welcome our campuses? I forgot to do that, sorry. Everybody who's watching with us online or joining us at our campuses, wherever you may be, thank you for being here with us this morning. We love you and we're so glad that you are joining in. I trust that God's gonna bless you and speak to you today. Well, I have a really important topic and I decided instead of... Um, kind of like doing what you normally do and warming up to everybody with um, like stories. Do you know how you're supposed to say something funny at the beginning of your message to make everyone laugh and then you can do your Bible verses? Well, I'm gonna skip the funny today because I have a lot of content <laughs> and I wanna get right into the word. And I guess I was kind of funny just then. Um, but I wanna let you know, I have, t I have so, I did way too much research on this message because it's a big topic. And I'm gonna do a lot of verses and give a lot of points and I don't want you to worry about trying to catch it all because you won't be able to listen to what I'm saying. And so I have posted the notes, all of my research notes on my website, carrieweems.com. You can go there and you can download them. Now for some of you, it is gonna be way too much information and you'll be like, I don't even wanna fool with this. Church was plenty. But for some of you who really love to dig deep and to study and to see where my thoughts came from and to get a little bit more information, um, you'll love it. It's not a Bible study, it's just my research notes. But um, I don't want you to worry about trying to capture everything and there's so much rich content, so much rich research underlying just the tip of the iceberg that I'm giving you today. But I wanna talk about a, a um, topic that, you know, it's funny, we don't talk about it much in the church and that is the resurrection. We take it out and dust it off and talk about it at Easter, <laughs> but we don't really talk about it that much at other times. And I think that's because in some ways it's like, I don't know, it's, we know that it's hard to understand, like it's hard for us to understand it. I'll be really honest, when I start really, if I dwell on the resurrection, I start getting all into the science of it and it, and it kind of, I just go, okay, I'm just not gonna think about it. I'm just gonna believe what God says 
that I don't wanna think about it. It's just hard. And I had a great example of this. My very first ever mission trip was to Hong Kong. And, um, and um, one of the days we got to cross the border, fly, go over to China and cross the border and go to a university where we were gonna, going to tr uh, tutor some university students in English. And of course, we were supposed to also try to take that opportunity to witness to them. And this is when China was really, really close to the gospel. And so we get there and it happened to be Christmas time. And I was so excited because I was, I was coaching this young man in, um, in English and we were talking about the holidays. You know, if you've ever taken a foreign language, there's like the food section, the traffic section, <laughs> the holiday section. And so they were on the holiday section. And so we started talking about um, how we celebrate holidays in, in the United States and talking about Christmas. And I said, hey, have you, do you know why we celebrate Christmas? And he said, Santa Claus? gifts? And I said, no. And I began to tell him the story of Jesus and how Jesus was born. And I told him about the angels and the shepherds and the light. I mean, it was, you know, working across a, a language barrier, but he was getting it. And then I got to the end. I wanted to tell him the gospel story. So I said, and the son of God died on the cross for all the things we do wrong. So we could be right with God. And then after three days, he rose from the dead and he looked at me and his eyes were so big and he laughed in my face so hard. And he said, that's stupid. And I was like, maybe I need to get a better way to do this. But honestly, it was the first time I'd ever thought about how unbelievable the resurrection is because I had grown up in the Bible Belt in a Christian home. It was just a fact of my life. I learned it in Sunday school. We talked about it. It was a reality to me. But it was the first time that I ever realized how somebody who was not raised in the church finds that so difficult to believe. And I think sometimes that's why we don't talk about the resurrection as much. You know, another reason I think we don't talk about the resurrection as much is because we don't put our hope in it as much as we should. And I don't wanna say should, it's just, you know, nations where there's extreme poverty and where there's, where there's persecution for your faith, you will hear a lot more about the resurrection in those nations. You will hear a lot more about heaven in those nations. You know why? Because this world is so bad for them. It feels so bad to be here. There is literally nothing for them in this world. And when you don't have anything for you in this world, you naturally turn your eyes to the next and that becomes your hope. And that's how the early Christians were. Heaven was their hope. In fact, when you see in the Bible, the language about, um, I pray that your eyes will be open so that you can understand the call of your, of your, the hope of your calling so that you can understand the inheritance you have with the saints. He who has this hope purifies himself. When we're talking about hope. The apostles were not talking about just some good positive feelings that the, that the future would generally turn out okay. They were coming from a place of every single thing that I want is not here. There's nothing here for me. My soul has an anchor attached to it. And that anchor is thrown into the next world. And everything that I do is anchored in that other world. And my hope is the rope between me and the anchor. And it is pulling me day by day to the other side of the veil. And so, you know, in other countries where they don't have, you know, social nets like welfare and food stamps and loans. I mean, when you lose your house, you lose your house. You live on the street. There's no recourse. We have a lot of options here. It takes a lot to get really, 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 really to the bottom of the barrel. People do, but it's much less frequent.
And I think our challenge here is, is honestly, we don't have that challenge, but our challenge is to remember as good as we might have it, as comfortable as we might be, this is not it. <laughs> this is not it. And you know why that's good? Because that means that death does not have the final word. Amen? Death does not win the argument. And so we're living right here in the kingdom now, but we're not destined to stay here. The end is on the other side of the veil. And so I've named this message, Here, Now, and Not Yet. And um, I just wanna pray and then we'll dig right in. Father, we just love your word. And today we open our hearts to your word and everything in it. Lord, I just pray that you would fill us with a joy about what awaits us in eternity. Fill us with a joy about what we're gonna be like when we reign with you and when we're with you forever. Fill us with joy and excitement and anticipation about what is next for us because it is good. It is so much better than what we have here. And I pray that you would just let our hearts be enlarged today. Let our vision be enlarged, Lord, and let us leave here with a new fire in our hearts to live like we're already living in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's just dig in. I wanna start with Romans 10, nine, very familiar verse. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, and I love this verse, it's foundational. This was the first verse my um, daughter, Kaylin, ever um, memorized. She would say, if you believe in your heart, Jesus, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. She was so excited to know she finished it. And we would say, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9. But this was her first thing. But you know, it's interesting when you look at, Paul is setting forth, these are the things that need to happen for you to be saved. Not as a ritual, but like saying, these are the core beliefs of Christianity. And if I were writing this today, based on what we talk about most today, I would say, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your your heart that God forgives your sins, you will be saved. Think about that. Like if we were writing this today, or just to listen, if someone were listening to the way that we talk about our hope, they would say, well, believe in your heart that God forgives your sins. But that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Think about that. That's how essential this belief in the resurrection is. Now, I'm not saying that you have to make peace with all the science behind it. I'm not saying that you have to understand it from an intellectual perspective. I'm saying a faith perspective, that you say, okay, God, you said it, I believe it. But why would Paul put this? Why didn't he say, God forgives it, like if you believe God forgives you of your sins? I'll tell you why. Because for Paul and the rest of the early church and all of the apostles, without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, you aren't forgiven. I'm not forgiven. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no gospel. There is no good news. You see, every single thing that we believe and stands for, stand for literally hangs on the fact of the resurrection of the Son of God. And if that did not happen, we can all just go home right now. I'm telling you, these two things, the gospel and the resurrection are inextricably linked together. You cannot untangle them. They are really one and the same. The resurrection is the foundation of the gospel message. And that is why Paul puts it right here in Romans 10, 9 about the things 
that we have to believe that are core to our belief. But so many times we skip over the resurrection and we don't talk about that. And we go straight to forgiving us of sins, which is okay. I'm not gonna, I don't, we're not like gonna say, don't say forgiving of sins. That's so important. I mean, that really hits where we live because forgiveness addresses our guilt and regret over things that we've done wrong. But that is so not the big picture. The resurrection is the big picture. Now, and not only Jesus's resurrection, but our own resurrection. We do not talk enough about what our resurrection is gonna be like. I think people are a little scared by this because you know it's, it's the Bible and it's like it's got some of Revelation. Revelation is confusing and we don't wanna get it wrong and it's really important. I get that, but we have to really research these things. We have to study because God lays a lot out. We don't know everything, but we can know a lot from the word of God. We really can. We shouldn't be scared of this topic because the more you understand it, man, I'm telling you, it will fire you up. I wanna say that this weekend, starting on Saturday, I had so much and I don't say this often, so much resistance to this message, just in terms of carving out time to study, just in terms of breaking my toe, computer issues, kid issues, stuff all's gone. And um, I just really don't, when, when things accumulate like that, I don't think that that's accident. And I think honestly, our, the enemy of our soul doesn't want us talking about the hope that is in store for us because it's hope for us, but it's the end for him. And... <laughs> He doesn't wanna be reminded of it and he doesn't want us to be reminded of it. So here's the thing. So what is, we're talking about the resurrection. And honestly, you, you can look all through the New Testament and you can, in my research notes, I give you Old Testament and New Testament references that you can go look up. The resurrection is all through the Bible and then all through the New Testament. But um, I'm gonna mainly be teaching from, taking my text from 1 Corinthians 15 because it's probably the longest single defense of the resurrection that is in the Bible. But, um, and this isn't gonna be an apologetics course where I talk about this is how, you know, how we know that the resurrection was real. I'm gonna talk about this from a faith perspective. So what is the resurrection? What is it? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or have already died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Okay, good. So let's, let's take this apart a little bit. What is the resurrection? First of all, the resurrection is a two-stage event. First, the Messiah resurrects bodily, not just in spirit, but bodily, and then everybody who belongs to him, all right? Everybody who belongs to him. So clearly, okay, so Jesus is already resurrected. He came back to earth. He had a physical body. He ascended into heaven, but we are not resurrected yet, and I'm gonna talk more about that Later, we are awaiting the resurrection of our bodies. The other thing about the resurrection is it happens at the end of the age, at the end of the ages after the great tribulation. So that's, that's important to know. It's an event that has not happened yet. It happens at the end of the age. And so it is the raising of our physical bodies again at the end of the age. So it hasn't happened yet. And then the other thing is the resurrection started with Jesus and will finish with us. It started with Jesus and it finishes with us. Think of it like this. Think of it like a series, a TV series that 
you know, you get to the end and it says to be continued. Well, they might not do that anymore because we have Netflix and DVR and all that stuff. But in the old, old days, like you would get to the end of your show, you look at the clock, there's five minutes and you're like, there's no way they can pull this all together in five minutes. And you start realizing, no, no, it's to be continued. <laughs> like you don't want it to end. And I had my favorite show growing up was the show. Who remembers, does anybody here remember a show called The Bionic Woman? Oh my gosh, it was my favorite. Some people are real fans in here. Um, I loved that show. So it was my favorite show, but it was on Wednesday night. And so we went to church like every Wednesday night. My mom would not let me miss Wednesday night church to watch The Bionic Woman. And we did not have, that was before even VCRs or Betamax. Can anybody remember Betamax? Okay. So it was before even that, like I am super old. And um. And so when my mom would get sick or my sister would get sick or there was something would come up that we had to stay home on Wednesday night, I mean, I didn't let her see it, but I was really excited. So I got to watch the bionic woman. And I'm telling you the thing I hated the most is when I would, I could tell, I can tell that they're not gonna be able to finish the story and the dreaded to be continued pops up. And I'm like, no, I'll be in church next week. You can't continue it. I want it to finish now. It would make me crazy. But you have to think of the resurrection kind of like that. Jesus started the story, and after his resurrection, it's a pause. And instead of us resurrecting in the new heavens and the new earth, the kingdom of God has now come and invaded this earth. The kingdom, with the resurrection of Christ, the kingdom of heaven invaded the earth we live in. It's a new day, it's a different world, and we can be new people. But the resurrection for us, our resurrection, is still on hold. It's to be continued at the end of the ages. So we're living right now in this gap, this gap of now and not yet. And in that gap, we are citizens of the kingdom living in, the not, in what is not the kingdom, right? And so we have to live in that gap with a mixture. It's a mixture of anticipation for what will come and the fulfillment of the promises that are already made to us. We're living, we're walking in two worlds. So that explains a little bit about the resurrection. Now, the next thing is this, um, Hebrews. This is also, also awesome, I love this. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says this. Since the children of God have flesh and blood, Christ too, I just filled in the blanks for some of these to make it more understandable. Christ too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Can, am I, is it true, like, if there's one thing that kind of unites humans, <laughs> we're all afraid of dying. Like, it's, it scares us. How is it gonna happen? When is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen suddenly? Is it gonna hurt? What happens after you die? Jesus took away, with his death and resurrection, he took away the fear of death for us. We do not have to be afraid of dying. No matter how it happens, we don't have to be afraid. This is what helped the saints of old go through everything they went through and risk their lives for the gospel and for the message and to reach people because they didn't fear death. They knew that it was just a doorway to the other side where they were ultimately destined to be. And we do so much to hang on to this life and I'm all about eating healthy and I'm all about exercising and being careful. I'm not saying we shouldn't be that way. But we don't need to live with a fear of death. And if you are in here today and you have somehow experienced some things in your life and now you have a fear of death, 
that is with you all the time, a fear that you might die or your loved ones might die or something might happen. Can I tell you that Jesus, by his resurrection, came to, to free you from that slavery of the fear of death. You do not have to be afraid anymore. That is part of the fulfillment on this side of the veil because we know what's gonna happen to us on the other side. When we do finally pass from this life to the next, we don't have to be afraid. So what does happen when we die? You ready to find out? Now, if you wanna know what happens when you die, and if you wanna know what your resurrected body will be like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. The Bible does not come out and give us bullet points like I've done, but if you carefully read through the gospels, through the scriptures, through the epistles, you will have a lot of clues in there as to what the afterlife is gonna be like. There's not tons, probably not, enough, probably not as much information as we would like to have, but there is a lot that we can know. And so we're gonna look at the resurrection of Jesus because what did Paul tell us? Jesus is the first fruits. In other words, his resurrection is the model for us. It's the prototype of what the resurrection body is gonna be like, what the resurrection experience is gonna be like. And his power, the power of the spirit is the means. So Jesus is the model of our resurrection and he is also by his power, the means, the way that we are going to be resurrected, the power through which we are resurrected. So we just need to look at him and look at what happened to him. So let's take a look. First of all, there's an interval between our physical death and our ultimate physical resurrection. Now look here, Jesus had an interval. What does the Bible tell us? He was crucified and buried. And then three days later, there was an interval of three days before he rose again. When he rose again, he rose as a physical being in his resurrected body, okay? But there was an interval now, do you see any people walking around the earth today? Anybody who's passed away, do you see anyone walking around in resurrected bodies? No. So what was going on with them? <laughs> Let me tell you what, they're in an interval period. Right now, if you have loved ones who have crossed over and who, who were born again and they believe in Jesus, they are in what's, what we call an interval period. So they're, in this, they're, in, they're not in their resurrected bodies right now, but they're still, they're still fully alive, okay? They're still fully alive and they're with Christ. When we pass from this earth, our bodies remain dead, but our spirit is fully alive and present with Christ. Immediately, fully alive and present with Christ. The only thing that is not here is your, is your, resurrect, is your body. You don't have a body, but you have your bodies in the earth and you're waiting for your resurrected body. How do we know this? Well, because Paul says, let me make sure I'm saying the right scripture here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 to eight, through eight, he says, to be present in the body is to be absent from the Lord. But to be absent from the body is to be present for the Lord, to the Lord, with the Lord. And he said, frankly, I would rather be absent from my body so I can be present with the Lord, but I know that God wants me here to serve all of you. And so he was kind of talking about that tension of wanting to go to heaven, but no, you can't. So we know from those words and other words that when we leave this body, we are in the presence of the Lord. So if you have loved ones who have passed and Jesus was their hope, they put their faith in Christ, you can be very assured that they pass through the veil and they are fully alive and they are with Jesus right now. Is that good to know? It's good to know, isn't it? Here's the, second, the other thing. When we die, we go to a waiting room and it's um, what is believed to be the third heaven. Um, now, 
God doesn't specifically state this in the Bible, but if you look at Jewish traditions and the beliefs of the apostles um, that they, you know, references they've made and works that you don't, we don't realize, but some of the things they say in the New Testament, they're, they're actually citing or quoting other pieces of literature that were really part of their culture and their, and their philosophy and the teaching of their time. And so they believe that there were levels in heaven. And the third heaven is, I, is where most people believe this holding place is. It's in heaven, but it's not like all the way in the throne room of God with the angels and the elders and the stones of fire and everybody bowing down and saying, holy, holy, holy. We don't go there when we die. We go to this place, it's called paradise in the Bible and it's called Abraham's bosom in the Bible, but it's a waiting room called the third heaven. We call it the third heaven. And um, Paul references it in 2 Corinthians 12, two through four. When he talks about, I know a man who died, who uh, went to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. It's like when you say, I have a friend who, it was really you, but you don't want it to be about yourself. So it was a common way of like saying something great about yourself without bragging. That's what it was in that culture. So he said, I have a friend who went up to the third heaven and he saw things that you could not express with words. You can't even, you're not even permitted to speak about them. It was so amazing. So the third heaven is, 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 is awesome. And that's what Paul was talking about. And then we see Jesus talking um, about Abraham's bosom and his parables and all those sorts of things. The other thing is there's evidence, this is cool. There's evidence in the Bible that we'll be able to see events that are happening on earth from this third heaven. So there is evidence in the Bible to say that if you have people that you love that have passed on and they're in the third heaven that they can actually see, they can't interact with us, but they can see what's going on down here. That's kind of cool too, right? That's cool to know that they can see. And let me tell you where that evidence comes from. First of all, it does come from Jesus's parables. In two parables, he talks about Lazarus and the rich man and how the rich man said, he looked at, he, he said to God, he's like, oh, let me go tell my brothers so they won't do the same things. He could he could see what was happening. He didn't want his brothers to go through the same things. And then you also see, um, you see a couple other times in the parables where Jesus uh, refers to this, but then Paul, I mean, in, in the book of Revelation, in verse six, chapter six, verses nine through 11, um, the Revelation talks about the, um, it says, I'm gonna try to paraphrase it. It says, the blood of the martyrs who are under the altar of God call out to God and say, when will you avenge the blood that has been spilled, like our blood that has been spilled? And God says to them, it's just a little while longer until your other people come, they fulfill their purpose and some people are appointed to be martyrs and they need to join you. Now, when I first read that, it was so confusing to me because I'm like, okay, they were under the altar of God. So were they all like kind of, you know, squunched in there, like under the altar? Like, honestly, I'm trying to figure out what in the world does this mean? Because that seems really uncomfortable to do that for eternity. And I know we, our bodies are different, but like, wow. And so, but as you study, if you, look at, if you look at visions of heaven in the Bible from Ezekiel to Isaiah and all the prophets, Jeremiah, you'll notice that they talk about there were floors like glass or the floor was like the sea or the, or the streets are transparent. You'll even see that in the book of Revelation, the, the streets were transparent. So when it talks about the souls of the martyrs being under the throne, it doesn't mean that they're kind of hunched under the throne. It means that you can look through the floor and you can see them in the third heaven. And they are looking at the earth and saying, God, when are you gonna, like, this is, it's gone on long enough. These events are still happening. When are you gonna bring us all together? When are you going to avenge our deaths? When are you going to bring justice on the earth? Because they can see, right, that justice is not on the earth. Is that amazing? That is amazing. You can clap for that because I was blown away when I read that. I didn't make that up either, just so you know. 
that is, that is backed by research, so um, anyway, that's really cool. And then the last thing, the other things are, um, we don't have any more pain or sorrow in the third heaven. So if, if someone you love yet passed away and they were going through an illness or they were in pain, that immediate, immediately suffering and pain leave, immediately when you cross over. You, this, you're, you don't have your resurrected body, but you don't bring pain with you into that other side. And then the last thing is we don't have our resurrected bodies in this interval in third heaven. So when does the resurrection of our resurrected bodies happen? We receive our resurrected bodies at the end of the ages, which I've already said, when Jesus comes back with his church and all the saints, this is really cool, all the saints from every age across history, past and the ones that are alive at the time, every single one of them are gonna receive their resurrected bodies at the same time. Is that amazing? So you and the people that have gone before you that you love into heaven, you'll be getting your resurrected bodies at the same time. You'll be sharing that experience together. You'll be entering into the new phase of God's plan for us at the same time. You, the, the saints who have gone before us, all the great preachers and evangelists and the saints from ages past, all of us will be raised up at the same time and we'll all get our heavenly bodies at once. I mean, think of every person who has already gone to the other side, who's already crossed the line of eternity, and they all either come back or rise up and we're a great host in the heavens. And we all get our resurrected bodies. Now you see what Revelation means when it says, Jesus came back and the armies that were in heaven followed him on what, it's an army, it is multitudes upon multitudes because it's everybody who's ever lived on this earth who's ever put their faith in Jesus. That is exciting. Look here in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52, Paul is saying, he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, not everybody is gonna die before Jesus comes, but we will all be changed. We're not gonna all have to die here before Jesus comes back, but no matter who you are and when you die, every single one of us is gonna be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. When the trumpet sounds, every single one of us, we will know. It'll happen so fast that you will not even realize it happened until after it happens. It will not be painful. It will not be scary. You won't hear this trumpet and then there's this thing and then you're like, it is so fast. The twinkling of an eye. Think of when your eye light glints off of your eye. Like if you're looking at someone by candlelight and the flame flickers and reflects in their eye, that's how fast. So fast. And then we'll look across and we'll be with everybody. And you know what? We'll know who all of them are whether we've met them or not. Is this incredible? You need to be getting excited about now, right now about what's so, this is like better than we can ever imagine. The too good to be true news. Like you can't even imagine it, but it's so good. That's why we need to remember what God has in store for us. So what will our resurrected bodies be like? Well, they'll be just like Jesus's resurrected body. First Corinthians 15, 42 through 49 says this. So it will be at the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown imperishable the body that is sown imperishable, it, I'm sorry, let me start over. The body that is sown is perishable. I, need, I should be wearing glasses, but I don't wanna take them on and off while I'm up here, so sorry. Because it's, it's awkward, you know? Okay, let me start over. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And just as we have borne on this earth the image of the earthly man or Adam, 
so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Right? Just amazing. So on this earth, that's not to say that we all look like Adam, <laughs> obviously. We all look different. But we bear the image, the characteristics, the nature, the same kind of basic coding in our DNA, right? And all of us have borne that image throughout humanity. In the same way, when we are transformed, we will bear the image of Jesus. That does not mean that we're all gonna look like Jesus. <laughs> what it means is we will be made of the same substance that he is made of. All that fallen, think of it like this, all that fallen DNA will be taken out. And you know what's gonna be coded in? The DNA of the Father. DNA is nothing, right? You can clap for that, because that's cool. <laughs> DNA, what is it? It's just information, that's all it is. Did you know that? It's actually not, pardon me for saying this, it's actually not sperm. Sperm is just the means through which the DNA is carried. The DNA itself is nothing but code. So all that happens, and we can do this now with, humans can do this with our own science. We can splice DNA, and we can splice a part of the coding, the genetic coding, and we can take another part of somebody else's or something else's genetic coding, and we can lock the coding in, and we can make something different. That is why you, they, if you Google mouse with ears, mouse with human ear, you will literally find a picture of a rat that has a human ear growing off of it. That's kind of weird and scary, but... Um, if we can do that, we'll never do it like God. Why can't God do it? He can do it. Like we have the science to do that now. That's hardly even a miracle, but it is. We're gonna have the DNA of Jesus. We're gonna bear his image. We're gonna have his coding. We're gonna have his programming. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment for that. We have the seed of it right now, the Holy Spirit right now. We have the seed of it in this life, but we're gonna sow that seed into the ground, the seed of our bodies. And when it goes into the ground, it is gonna be weak and it's gonna be fragile and it's gonna be shameful because you know, there's a, there's a certain regret and shame about getting frail. You don't want people to have to take care of you. All of us say, oh, I don't wanna live like that. I hope God takes me before I get like that. I don't wanna be a burden. All of us, I don't wanna be a burden to my family. There's a certain shame in that. Nobody wants that. It's sown in shame, but it is raised in power and in glory and in honor honor and in strength. The Bible says God designed us for this purpose. That is why even though since the beginning of time, every single person alive on this earth has died, there is something in us that goes, we were not made for death that struggles to our last breath to avoid it because that is the remnant of the image of God in us saying you weren't created for this. You were created for something more. And that's our spirit saying, yes, we were created for something more. There's something on the inside of me that has this hunch. I really, humanity's not supposed to die. That is your heart calling for your home on the other side of the veil. It's the image of God in you, awakening. This is what God designed you for and he accomplished it for us in Jesus Christ and him alone. Him alone. And so your, your resurrected body is gonna be in the image of Jesus. And I'm using scientific terms to explain it because I don't really have words. I mean, don't, like, don't go looking for DNA in the Bible because it's not in there. But that's what it means by image, the same substance. So here's the qualities of our resurrected bodies. Are you ready? Here we go. Our new bodies are not created by resuscitation. I don't know if this is on here. Yep, our new bodies are not created by resuscitation, but by transformation. I don't know if that's up there or not. 
But let me tell you something. What the Jewish people believed about the resurrection is they believed that God would go from the, to the corners of the earth and gather all the parts of your body <laughs> together. And he would take that body and rebuild it. And then he would breathe his life into it and resurrect you to life. That was in, um, you, can see a, you can see a vision that kind of explains this in Ezekiel 37. And that was their belief. But listen, that is not what God's gonna do. He's not gonna go into the ground and get your old body and take it to heaven and refurbish it and then put it out there. He's gonna give you a completely new body. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that mortality has to put on immortality and the perishable must put on the imperishable, this is the image he's using. He's using the image of a garment slipping off and a new one being put on. Your spirit is you and the old garment of the body, the old body is slipping off. It's not getting altered. It's not getting tailored. It's not getting remade. It's going to the garbage can and a new one, a heavenly one is coming down and it is clothing you. These are the clothes. Your new body is the garment that you wear in the, in the new earth. I'm not saying you won't have clothes, but I'm saying it is like, it is the new thing. He's not gonna resuscitate the old. He's gonna transform you. Also, our resurrected bodies will be superior to our current bodies. Isn't that good to know? And that's, I'm, I'm really hoping you will, will finally get to lose the last 10 pounds from being pregnant like, you know, 15 years ago. And I've been carrying them around. It feels like an eternity. I will finally get to lose them. You're, who you are right now is gonna, you're gonna be the best perfected version of you. You are not going to be a clone. You are not going to be a disembodied spirit energy floating around the universe. You are going to be Debbie Turner, but the way that God envisioned a Debbie Turner in her perfected state to be. Every one of us who has things about our body that make us crazy, you know, things that are wrong with our body, diseases that we deal with, Crohn's disease, heart disease, one leg shorter than the other, just name it, one, you know, weird hands, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know that God did not create you to have weird hands? He didn't have, create you to have Crohn's disease. He didn't create you for your hair to fall out. I know that sounds like, like we think, well, that's not a big deal. We shouldn't be vain. No, God did not create you for your hair to fall out because you know why your hair falls out? Because you're dying. <laughs> Let that sink in. Your hair is falling out <laughs> because this world is made with the fabric of decay. And Jesus did not come to make a, a compromise with death. He came to conquer death. He came to conquer it. So he's not gonna make a compromise and say, well, okay, death, you take the bodies. You can have that. What really counts is the spirit. I don't really care about the bodies so much. That's just flesh. No, that's making a compromise with death. Jesus didn't come to make a compromise with death. He came to defeat and conquer and overwhelm it and banish it forever from his good creation. So he's not gonna let your hair fall out. You won't be bald in heaven because that is, unless you shave your head, because that is a sign of decay. And we are so keen in this world of advocating, and it's good, like acceptance. You know, this girl is blind and you know, God makes every, there's no mistakes in God and he creates, yes, you're right. There's no mistakes in God, but there's mistakes in our DNA. God did not create blindness because he wanted a tapestry of different people in the world. Blindness Deafness, sickness are not because God gave them to you to show how awesome he is. They are because our DNA from the beginning of time and since the fall has been completely corrupted and has been on a downward slope ever since. And when God resurrects us, none of those things will be there because he has designed us for eternity. Is that good to know? I'm excited about that. 
Okay, a few more things. I'm going late. I'm really sorry. I'm not, I'm gonna done. Okay. Our resurrected bodies will be physical, real, and recognizable. Our resurrected bodies will be in the prime of life. Our resurrected bodies will be incapable of dying. They will probably have extra dimensional abilities because you know, when Jesus was on the earth, what? He was physical. Thomas could touch him. He could eat, which like, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad we get to eat in heaven. I would be really sad if I couldn't eat. And, um, but he could also what? Appear and disappear and walk through walls and do miracles and walk on water and hide his appearance from people and then reveal himself to people like that. Do you understand he's traveling the time-space continuum? That is cool. At the speed of thought, I wanna be able to do that. We will. That's what your resurrected body can do. Don't you wish you knew about this earlier? Yeah, it changes the way you live. Okay, here's something else cool. And this is gonna be my ending point. Um, our resurrected, oh, here's an okay with our, um, our racial and gender identities will probably continue into heaven because in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, it, the prophet, I mean, the apostle John says, I looked before the throne and there were people from every land, every nation, every tribe and tongue singing praises to God. How would he know that if he wasn't looking at a brown person and a yellow person and a white person and a red person, every kind of different skin tone mixed I don't know, we're not all gonna turn into translucent angels. You are gonna be black. If you're black now, you're gonna be black then. If you're white now, you're gonna be white then. If you're Indian, you're gonna be Indian. If you're Asian, you're gonna be Asian because what God put in you as far as your race is beautiful to Him. He loves the color of your skin. It delights Him. And He wants that to be in eternity with Him. It's gonna be perfected in every way. Is that amazing? I love that part. And then, okay, maybe this is the end. Yes, our resurrected bodies are the hope that keep us serving now. And I'm gonna end here and the band can go ahead and come on up and I'm gonna turn it over to the campus pastors after this. But I wanna read this to you, 1 Corinthians 5, 8. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Paul goes through all this theological complex, robust defense of the resurrection and the resurrected body and the resurrection of Christ. And at the very end, he says this, therefore, when you see a therefore, it means, and because of this, because of what I just said, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul was not going off on a rabbit trail talking about the about the resurrection and then going, okay, so everybody be good. Don't, get, go, don't be apostate, don't get into heresy and goodbye. It wasn't a closing. He was connecting the ability that we have to stand firm and not be moved and to keep serving and to keep giving and to not grow weary and doing well to the fact that we believe in it and know that our Lord Jesus has resurrected. And if He resurrected, then we will resurrect. And so our soul is tied to the hope that is tied to the anchor and the veil. So that when we want to be moved, when the enemy tries to move us, we can say, no, I'm standing firm because my anchor is in the, it holds within the veil. And one thing I wanna leave you with is this. The kingdom is not far off in truth. It's nearer than we think. It's nearer than we think. And we're citizens of this kingdom. And you know, um, we have this thing in America, when we, in the United States, we have elections. And we have, you know, when a, when a president is elected, he's president elect, but he's not president yet. There is an interval time 
between the time that he's elected and the time that he is inaugurated, right? So what if when our president was elected, he was like, all right, man, I won. I'm gonna go live it up for a few years and when it's time for me to be inaugurated, I'll come back and clean up my act. And so he wins the, the election and then he goes off partying, drinking, doing drugs, cheating on his wife, cussing, you know, living, cheating people out of stuff, beating people up. What would you, you would be like, you can't be the president. You don't act like a president. I don't want a president that acts like that. You're the president. Well, I'm not the president yet. I'm the president-elect. Yeah, but you're the, you still need to act like the president. Okay, church, we are citizens-elect of God's kingdom. We are not there yet, but we are on our way and we're citizens-elect. That is why Paul says, you're, you, know, you need to do these things. You need to be generous. You need to have the fruit of the Spirit. We need to behave like citizens of heaven, even though we're not citizens, we're not there yet. Because people are looking at us as citizens-elect and saying, what is the kingdom like? We are to show forth the kingdom on this earth. And let me tell you, when you cross into that kingdom, you will not be able to go back and change one thing in this life. You will not be able to give one more dollar. You will not be able to serve one more time. You will not be able to say one more kind word. You will not be able to pray with someone ever again on this side of the veil. Everything that you store up in heaven can only be stored up here. Once you get into heaven, you can't store up any more treasures. You take with you the treasures that you store up on this side. I don't think we understand that finality. We wanna, maybe you think it doesn't matter. And if you get in heaven by the skin of your teeth, you'll be happy. But let me tell you, when you show up with your one little treasure and other people are bringing in chest and droves of treasure, you're gonna be sad. You're gonna be sad. And I don't want you to be sad on that day when we don't live like citizens elect of heaven, we're not storing up treasures in heaven. That's what that means. That's why Paul says, store up treasures for yourself in heaven because we're, your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I wanna encourage us and hopefully today I've given you a little bit of excitement about what awaits us all on the other side. Hopefully I have increased your faith through this message. Hopefully I've given you a passion for living like the citizens elect that you are in the here and now in the kingdom that we're in. And I'm gonna hold, turn over to Pastor Matt right now and he's gonna pray. But let's just determine this week to be aware of the kingdom of God that we're walking in, amen? Amen. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.